Welcome to Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam, where I, Dietitian Faraz, and you, an awesome person, join forces to chomp down dietetic concepts into digestible bites and provide you with practice questions, rationales, and tips to conquer your dietetic exam, and you will conquer it because you are smart, you are skilled, and you got this. Hit it! Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. So before going into today's topics, I got some really, really exciting news I gotta share with you. So over the years, I've had a lot of podcast listeners and students ask me to develop a program that covers everything you need to know about the RD exam. Well, guess what? That's happened. I've developed a program that's really focused on visual learning, and this program consists of 17 video lectures that cover all four domains and every topic that's relevant to the RD exam. These topics are covered with full explanations, tons of mnemonics, illustrations, animations, tables, and each video lecture also has a pre and post test and a super duper colorful set of corresponding notes. This full program is now available on our website at chompdowndietetics.com. Make sure to check out the program sneak peek video on the website's homepage and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. With that being said, let's get into it. Angie is attempting to improve how the clinical RDs rotate floors in the hospital, and she has organized weekly meetings with the clinical RD team to discuss the process. Now, she is talking with the RD team leaders and managers, people who are most involved with the process, to collect information and data about the floor's patient loads and responsibilities, which step in focus PDCA is Angie at A. Understand B. Select C. Clarify D. Organize So we're responsible for knowing a lot of various management related information. Some of it you see in real life scenarios, some of it you don't see in real life scenarios. However, focus PDCA is something that I have actually seen in a real life scenario specifically from working at an acute care hospital, where I saw focus PDCA being utilized to evaluate hospital patient satisfaction scores for meal service. Other examples of focus PDCA in practice could include examining the length of patient stays, tray delivery timing, and the temperatures at which food is delivered to patient rooms. Focus PDCA is a management and systematic process improvement method, which developed in the healthcare industry by the Hospital Corporation of America. Focus PDCA is an extension of the PDCA cycle, which includes plan, do, check, act. The letters in the word focus are broken down as follows. F stands for find a process to improve. O stands for Organize to Improve the Process, C stands for Clarify Current Knowledge of the Process, U stands for Understand the Source of Process Variation, 
and S stands for select the process improvement. Please note that the first word for each letter, specifically focus, organize, clarify, understand, and select, is the same throughout the literature. However, you may see some variation in the description of each word across different sources. Let's start with F. Find a process to improve. A problem to fix. The process that you find should have the potential to be super beneficial to both the patient slash customer and the organization, and it should be a process in which the time, effort, resources you put into it has the potential to yield a high expected benefit. A lot of the time, the process you find to improve with specific regards to a hospital setting can oftentimes be from customer feedback obtained through patient satisfaction surveys. I've seen that quite a bit. An example would be a delay in patient meal tray delivery timing. If patients are complaining that they're getting their meals late, that could warrant finding a process to improve regarding meal delivery timing. Moving on to the O, organize to improve the process. This one is pretty straightforward. You're getting your squad together to address the process to improve. You want to make sure all relevant personnel are included. For example, if there is a problem that only the Ninja Turtles can solve, then you better make sure all four turtles are together. And please make sure you have enough pizza for all of them. Going back to the patient meal delivery example, you'll most likely organize a group for this particular process that will include personnel like the administrative dietitian, a food service supervisor, representative food service workers, maybe even representatives from nursing services. Let's move on to C. Clarify current knowledge of the process. This step involves collecting data and information about the process and should include talking with those who are most involved with it. So in our trade delivery example, this step would be represented by the organized team discussing the process or doing a literature search to see how other organizations have handled this process and identifying expected measurable outcomes. Let's move on to you. Understand the source of process variation. In this step, you're specifically trying to identify why this process is occurring in a way that's causing issues or variation. That term variation in this context is essentially referring to a lack of consistency because the general idea is that the more variation there is in a process, the less consistent it is, the less efficient it is. If something isn't efficient, it could lead to a lot of negative outcomes. In order to address variation, you try to develop a complete picture of all the causes of the problem and Oftentimes, you can show this in a cause and effect diagram. So in our trade delivery example, maybe the policies in place for delivering meals needs to be adjusted. Maybe the available food service equipment needs to be adjusted. Or maybe the staff need retraining. Why? Because all these things could be resulting in variation, which could ultimately cause trade delivery to be impacted. Let's move on to S. Select the process improvement. Now we're having some fun because here you look at what you've learned in the previous steps 
Then you decide which alternate process you're going to implement in order to fix the problem. So in our trade delivery example, the process to improve is that trays are being delivered to patients too slowly. So in order to fix that, we select a process improvement for faster heating equipment, specifically to invest in buying some faster heating equipment to warm up the food quicker so it can get to patients quicker. Now we move on to the PDCA part, which stands for Plan, Do, Check, and Act. So the plan phase is where we draw up the blueprints for implementing our process that we picked in the S phase of focus. So with regards to our trade delivery example, which specific heat equipment are we going to buy, where from, what quantities, which floor in the hospital will have the equipment? These are the questions we're going to be answering in this phase. Then the do phase is where the actual implementation occurs, oftentimes in a small-scale pilot form. In our example, in this phase, we've purchased the heating equipment and it is actively being used on a couple patient floors. The check phase is where you're assessing the results of your implementation and answering questions like, how effective is it? Did it work? Oftentimes, you'll compare the results to the expected outcomes you outlined in the planning phase. For our example, has the heating equipment that we purchased cut down on meal delivery time so patients are getting their meals quicker? That's what we really want to answer in this phase. Then the final phase, which is ACT. You basically examine what you learned in the check phase and take action on it. So if you didn't get the results you were looking for, go back to the planning phase and see what you can do better. If you did get the results you were looking for, implement the process on a wider scale and then go back to the planning phase to see if there's other processes you can improve. Notice this phase always results in going back to the planning phase. That's why it's called a cycle because it's meant to be repeated over and over until you eliminate as much variation, aka inconsistency, as possible. In our example, let's say the new heating equipment was able to heat the food quicker and patients got their meals delivered to them quicker on the two floors that it was implemented. Now, we can introduce this equipment to all the floors and then go back to planning to see what other processes can we improve that will result in patients getting their meals faster, like better staff training to make the preparation of the food quicker while still maintaining safety standards? Please note that there is also a PDSA model, which is basically an update to PDCA that replaces the check phase with the study phase, which focuses more on in-depth analysis. With that being said, Let's revisit our appetizer question from Pocket Prep. Angie is attempting to improve how the clinical RDs rotate floors in the hospital, and she has organized weekly meetings with the clinical RD team to discuss the process. Now she is talking with the RD team leaders and managers, people who are most involved with the process, to collect information and data about the floors, patient loads, and responsibilities. 
which step in Focus PDCA is Angie at? A. Understand. B. Select. C. Clarify. D. Organize. So let's go through all answer choices. You understand. As we mentioned in this step, you're specifically trying to identify why this process is occurring in a way that's causing issues or variation. Looking at our question, although the process to improve has been identified, which is how the clinical RDs rotate floors in the hospital, there's no mention of trying to identify why this process is occurring. No mention of a suspected reason as to why there is an issue. We just know that Angie is trying to improve how the clinical RDs rotate floors in the hospital. The question does mention that she has organized weekly meetings, so you could make the assumption that in those meetings they identified suspected reasons for why the problem is occurring. However, you would be assuming this as opposed to seeing evidence in the question, and we want to avoid assuming as much as possible so we can eliminate understand as an answer choice. Let's move on to the S, select. Here, you look at what you've learned in the previous steps, then you decide which alternate process you're going to implement in order to fix the problem. There isn't any mention of a decision being made on how to fix the process or an alternate process we should consider implementing, all we know is that a process to fix has been identified, so we can eliminate select as an answer choice. Let's move on to C, clarify. In this phase, we clarify current knowledge of the process, which involves collecting data and information about the process, and should include talking with those who are most involved with it. Our question specifically mentions that Angie is meeting with her team to discuss the process with people who are most involved with the process. It also states that she is collecting information and data about the floors, patient loads, and responsibilities. This answer seems like a strong candidate for the correct answer. However, best practice for answering questions dictates that we look at all possible answer choices before choosing which one to go with. So we will pocket, wink wink, this answer for now. Let's move on to O, organize. In this phase, we organize to improve the process, which basically means you're getting your squad together to address the process to improve. Notice in this question that she has organized weekly meetings with the clinical RD team to discuss the process. The keyword is has. So she has already organized the people she will be working with to address the process to improve, as opposed to still being in the process of getting them together. Another clue we have that she is not in this phase is that the question mentions that she is already talking with them. So we can eliminate organize as an answer choice, leaving us with C, clarify, which is indeed the correct answer. Okay, let's move on to our next appetizer question. Here we go. Which of the following is not typically associated with tropical sprue? A, diarrhea. B, B12 deficiency. C, 
constipation, D, folate deficiency. So I'm really glad tropical sprue was requested as a topic because I feel it's often overlooked, especially in comparison to non-tropical sprue, aka celiac disease. So it's important that we cover it. Before we get into it though, can we all just pause and reflect on how good the word tropical sounds right now? This word is as close to a vacation as I can get to at this point. I'm sure the majority of us haven't been on a vacation in quite a while. So just the word tropical is so nice to hear. So let's absorb that, picture ourselves enjoying the time when for you guys this exam is over, for me when my doctorate is over. And now that we have that mental break, let's get into it. Tropical sprue is an enigma of sorts. It's puzzling, like the Bermuda Triangle or Bigfoot sightings or why people still refer to us as dietaries. The exact reason behind tropical sprue's development is not known. What we do know is that it is essentially a GI condition that is associated with an infection from bacteria, a virus, or a parasite. People with tropical sprue have been identified to have different mixes of bacteria, viruses, or parasites in different regions of the world. One of the bacteria that have been identified in people with tropical sprue is various strains of E. coli, and some strains have the potential to release a secretion that can cause diarrhea if enough E. coli is present. Therefore, diarrhea is one of the hallmark features of tropical sprue. Another thing to keep in mind about tropical sprue is that it results in inflammation of both the gastric mucosa and intestinal villi. Both are important to keep in mind because they contribute different factors to the pathogenesis of the condition. Since it is generally agreed upon that it's initiated by an infection, this infection ends up damaging the intestinal lining and causes inflammation. Inflammation of gastric mucosa has also been observed in people with tropical sprue, although it is less common. With enough inflammation, you get a compromise in function, right? So that's what happens. In the intestines, the intestinal villi get compromised and eventually atrophy. And in the stomach, the gastric mucosa gets compromised and also eventually atrophies. As a result, of the intestinal villi becoming atrophied, the surface area that villi usually provide for nutrient absorption decreases. With intestinal villi atrophy, vitamins like folate will be malabsorbed. One of the functions of folate is to maintain the integrity of the intestinal mucosa. So as levels fall, it also leads to further wall injury and inflammation. Now, as a result of the gastric mucosa being atrophied, so we're switching gears here, the secretion of hydrochloric acid and intrinsic factor is greatly reduced. So with less intrinsic factor specifically secreted, B12 absorption will be compromised. So we've specifically mentioned folate and B12. Malabsorption of folate and B12 can lead to megaloblastic anemia. 
So malabsorption and megaloblastic anemia are also hallmark features of tropical sprue, in addition to the aforementioned diarrhea. Now, the malabsorption could also lead to malnutrition, which is another hallmark feature of tropical sprue. Due to the malabsorption and potential for malnutrition, a high-calorie, high-protein diet is recommended. I highlighted B12 and folate, but there are other nutrients that could be compromised as well. But those are the two to most often keep in mind. In addition, B12 and folate is supplemented to account for the malabsorption of those nutrients. Antibiotics are also often prescribed as well to treat the infection. So just for fun, let's distinguish between tropical sprue and non-tropical sprue, aka celiac disease. The two biggest differences are that non-tropical sprue is an autoimmune disorder which benefits from a gluten-free diet as opposed to tropical sprue which is not an autoimmune disorder and a gluten-free diet is not associated with it. A way to remember the difference between tropical and non-tropical sprue is looking at the word non. The word non and the bread non are said exactly the same and oftentimes you can find wheat naan and if you have celiac disease you must not eat wheat so when you see non-tropical think of wheat naan that you have to avoid now let's go back to our appetizer question which of the following is not typically associated with tropical sprue a diarrhea B, B12 deficiency, C, constipation, D, folate deficiency. So we know diarrhea is a hallmark feature of tropical sprue due to the colonization of the digestive tract by pathogens, particularly strains of E. coli. So we can eliminate that as an answer choice. Both B12 deficiency and folate deficiency are also both highly likely due to potential lack of intrinsic factor for B12 and the malabsorption of both B12 and folate due to intestinal villi atrophy. So both of those answer choices can be eliminated too. That leaves us with C, constipation, which is thus the correct answer since it is not associated with tropical sprue, especially with specific regards to the other answer choices. All right, let's move on to our next appetizer question. Here we go. Which of the following would not be recommended to consume for a person diagnosed with maple syrup urine disease? A. Steamed broccoli. B. Blueberries. C. Eggs. D. All of the choices listed would not be recommended to consume. Maple syrup urine disease is a genetic disorder present at birth that mainly involves the branch chain alpha ketoacid dehydrogenase complex, which consists of subunits. We'll call it BCAD from here on out. And it plays a big role in breaking down valine, isoleucine, and leucine. If BCAD is absent at birth or mutations in any of the genes that code for the BCAD enzyme subunits occurs, 
valine, isoleucine, and leucine will not be broken down properly and will build up. And the buildup of these branch chain amino acids and their byproducts can be harmful to the body, very harmful. The exact pathophysiology is still being researched, but what we do know is that symptoms of the classic form of maple syrup urine disease can lead to a myriad of complications, including, uh, but not limited to, failure to thrive, vomiting, irritability, seizures, anorexia, and the most distinctive feature of this disease is the development of an odor in urine, sweat, or earwax, most notably in urine, which is reminiscent of maple syrup. And this odor is a result of the accumulation of the branch chain amino acids, particularly leucine, and their byproducts. The main thing to keep in mind with this disease is we have to keep the amount of branch chain amino acids low in the diet and prevent them from accumulating. So patients are placed on low protein diets or given products that have had the branch chain amino acids extracted. You'll also see formulas being given that don't have the branch chain amino acids so that they can be administered and facilitate growth. Another thing to keep in mind with maple syrup urine disease is that because it's something you're born with, you do provide milk but in very small doses and you can use gelatin as well. So those are not completely off limits, but you just take a measured approach in terms of giving those particular uh, food sources to a person with maple syrup urine disease. Since patients are on low protein, energy comes mainly from carbs and fat. And the specific foods that are avoided in this condition include mainly dairy, eggs, meat, or nuts and i said these particular foods including the word or in a specific way because they actually spell out a mnemonic which is demon d-e-m-o-n so d for dairy e for eggs m for meat o for or and n for nuts demon now, please keep in mind when we say dairy products, we're referring to other dairy products because since milk is considered essential in the early part of life, we can give it to people with maple syrup urine disease, but just in a limited fashion so that it doesn't overwhelm the body with too much branch chain amino acids. Now, I didn't want to put a spooky vibe into this episode. But it is February, so we're not that far off from Halloween. So let's share a very small and quick spooky story to get you to remember these things that are going on in this condition. So first, there's a demon out there, okay? And this demon is bad news. And let's say this demon catches you. Uh-oh, big trouble. But don't you worry. There are some things that you can do to make sure the demon lets you go. First thing you want to do is you want to make the demon some pancakes and make sure you put some maple syrup on them. So once you do that, then you got to tell the demon something. You got to tell the demon Vermont is lit. V-I-L. And 
The V in Vermont stands for valine. The I in is stands for isoleucine. And the L in lit stands for leucine. Vermont is lit. The reason why you say that is not only because it's random and it's nice to say random things, but it does serve a purpose. And Vermont is oftentimes associated with maple syrup. There's a really famous brand, Vermont maple syrup. So that could be a way that you could make that connection that all the things that we just talked about are all linked together. So with demon, that helps you remember the foods to avoid and the Vermont is lit helps you remember the three branch chain amino acid names. The word lit in the way that it's being used in this mnemonic means something awesome, something really cool. It's a colloquialism. So keep those in mind and you should be able to not only escape the demon, but also remember this stuff for your exam. With that being said, let's revisit our appetizer question. Here we go. Which of the following would not be recommended to consume for a person diagnosed with maple syrup urine disease? A. Steamed broccoli. B. Blueberries. C. Eggs. D. All of the choices listed would not be recommended to consume. Well, all we got to do right now is remember demon. Our friendly neighborhood demon. And remember that demon stands for dairy, eggs, meat, or nuts. Those are the foods that a person with maple syrup urine disease should avoid. And eggs is listed in our answer choices. And steamed broccoli and blueberries are not. So therefore, C, eggs, is the correct answer. Thank you, demon. Thank you for being you and helping us remember the foods that we need to avoid. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to check us out on chompdowndietetics.com where we have our program that covers all relevant topics on the RD exam with video lectures and colorful notes. You can also hit us up on our socials, which are listed in the episode descriptions. And this is where you can request topics and just let us know how you're doing with your exam journeys. With that being said, I will catch you later. Bye-bye.